Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. The Claims Conference was established in 1951 to advocate on behalf of Holocaust survivors with the German government seeking justice for Jewish victims of Nazi persecution. It recently held its annual board meeting in New York. Mary Kluck, National Vice President of the Jewish Board of Deputies, Director of the Durban Holocaust and Genocide Center, and an Executive Member of the World Jewish Congress, attended the conference and is my guest to tell me more about the important work. Mary, welcome and thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Cherise, for having me. Lovely to be here. Mary, the organization is really old now and it's been consistent in its work. Do you feel that its um, work is more important now than it ever was? I think, you know, we're at a transition stage in terms of the claims conference. The work is, it's, it's, uh, as Greg Schneider, who's the CEO, kept saying in his report that was so poignant. Um, and I'll tell you a little bit about the individuals who are just extraordinary and engaged in this day to day. But what he, part, part of his report was intercepted all the time with the sentence, we are not done that we might be doing well in terms of our negotiations and the response from the German government financially is is pleasing, but our work is not done by a long shot. The nature of the work is as important as, as it ever was. I think that's that's probably fair to say rather than more important in that survivors are much older than and living longer. And anecdotally, I found this, Fascinating. Of the universe of Holocaust survivors that the claims conference um, are in contact with and support in one way or another, which is close to 200,000, there are 800 people over 100 years old. So you can imagine mm. the needs of those people. Whilst they are fewer in number, the survivors are fewer in number, the, the expenses and the costs of their care because a lot of it is home care, et cetera, mm-hmm. and their medical care is significant. So that's part of the conversation with the James government, and it's a long, arduous, and a lot of preparation goes into these negotiations, fortune of preparation, the statistics and interviews and opportunities for the finance minister and people in senior members of the German government to meet with Holocaust survivors in their home and visit Warsaw and to visit Israel, etc. But the 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 fact is that people are needing are, are needing financial support for much longer because of their longevity and the frailty of many of their condition requires it and it's very expensive so the work is not more important than it's ever been it's as important i would say how many survivors are they looking after mary um in one form or another close to 200,000 survivors a majority of whom live in Israel, but a big chunk in the former Soviet Union, as you can imagine. And then obviously sprinkled all over the world, Europe, Australia, a handful even in South Africa, who receive some form of support, either a hardship fund or a pension or one-off payment. Over the COVID period, we were able to negotiate for special needs, because people weren't able to do their own shopping and look after themselves, those who had been semi-independent and needed, you know, people to help them. So we were working through agencies to provide that. 
Um, it's an extraordinary organization, and I feel so humbled and proud to be part of it. Mary, you, you mentioned the former Soviet Union, which kind of brings us now to kind of the Ukraine war in a, in a very indirect way, um, the Russia-Ukraine war. Uh, what is the situation of survivors in the Ukraine? Just tragic. And, you know, at the outset, the, the outbreak of the war, 24th of February last year, 10,000 survivors were living in Ukraine. And um, part, big part of the report back at this uh, board meeting uh, last week was um, on the work that's been done on the ground with uh, claims conference staff, but a, a significant partnership with the joint in, you know, in America and the joint were the people who were able to, we were able to help them with, you know, funding and people and resources, et cetera. But the joint were an extraordinary partner. And so the first conversation about with those survivors in Ukraine was, do you want to leave? As you can imagine, wall is now, uh, raging above and in the main and and in the huge percentage were I've been chased out of my house before I've been chased away from my home before I'm not doing it again I'm not leaving Mm. so majority of survivors were adamant they didn't want to leave which puts a, a pressure of one kind in that in order to sustain care for them a lot of their carers who were working with the agencies had chosen to leave. So now you're in a situation with survivors who want to stay, and yet the people who are taking the best care of them are, are not. So it's about sourcing other care and filling in the gaps and providing literally food parcels and medical assistance and and human contact and teaching them to use smartphones and uh, electronic devices that they hadn't been required to do prior because they had been receiving visitors two, three, four times a week uh, from their social worker. Now they were going to have to do that um, electronically. So there was a huge shift to the type of care. And then there was this other angle of those who decided they would like to leave. So now where to? And you can't say to survivors, and the, the claims conference were adamant, that it's not about, okay, we will take you, we'll transport you. And in many cases, it was by ambulance so that they received the medical care that they needed on this arduous journey to the border and deliver you to the border and say, okay, well, here you are, cheers. It was an enormous amount of negotiation, discussion with the um, countries, majority German me, where, where we were able to, the claims conference were able to arrange that those survivors who wanted to could come to Germany and the care that they would receive when they got there. Once they arrived in the destination that was going to take them through Poland into Germany or to Israel, that was, those were the two options, um, where both governments would receive them and provide them, and we would be secure in the knowledge that they would be as well looked after as possible um, once they left. And sustained care that would go, you know, there would be a commitment to their sustained care for uh, forever. And so you can imagine what that involved, um, literally airlifting people uh, once they've crossed the border to Israel in frail condition. 
in the knowledge that they would be looked after. And in some cases, they went to Germany. It wasn't masses of people, but those who chose to um, were supported by this incredible partnership of the Joint and um, the Claims Conference. It is so reassuring to know that that support is available. Mary, we don't have much time, unfortunately, but the relationship between Germany over the years in terms of its willingness to help and do what is needed, has it gotten easier or more difficult? So I think what I don't think most people understand is that the negotiation with the German government is something that occurs afresh every year. So there, you know, in 1951, when the negotiations began and, and the idea, you know, there's a complexity around the relationship and the, and the reparations. In that initially, many people were uncomfortable with the idea that there can never be justice and you can't throw money at this and you can never replace all of those things we understand. This was just a tiny way of providing some measure of support for people who had been endured such unbearable hardship and heartache. So the idea is every year, and you can imagine that with changing governments in Germany, um, and that's been a recent uh, phenomenon, there's a whole new relationship that has to be created with those members of the negotiating team of the claims conference, um, of whom Stu Eisenstadt is the leader, and he's been extraordinary. He's a man of significant influence in, in American politics and been an advisor to presidents, etc. and his commitment, and he gave an unbelievably comprehensive report about the build-up to these negotiations with the new German uh, finance minister, etc. Um, so the, the interesting thing that I wanted to just – point that I wanted to make before we close – is the commitment to the survivors has it was reinforced this year and was made absolutely abundantly clear by those on the negotiating team in Germany that the commitment has is as strong as it's ever been. But there's also an increase in the financial allocation and commitment to Holocaust education, which is obviously something that's also very close to my heart. And the idea that when there are no longer survivors – given that many of them are living to 100, please God, it will take a while. But when there are no survivors, those who have met a witness need to become the witness. And how do we support that But other than through education? And so a big part of the work of the claims conference is obviously now looking to the future, a world without survivors, but um, never without Holocaust education. You know, it's fascinating to realize and understand, and I think most of us don't know, the incredible work that goes on behind the scenes, the, the connections, the interactions, the networks between the governments and the incredible work, Mary. So thank you so much for showing it to me. When you are in Joburg, I would like to invite you to come into the studio and we can chat some more about these really important issues and also talk a little bit more about Holocaust education. I'd love to. Thank you, Sharice. Thank you very much. That was Mary Cluck, who is our National Vice President, the Director of the Durban Holocaust and Genocide Centre, as well as an Executive Member of the World Jewish Congress, and she has just come back from a claims conference that was held in New York.